Tappers. What's up? It is the Monday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're starting the week off right. We are going to talk about if the Green Bay Packers are the most dysfunctional team in football right now. We will examine that. We'll examine other candidates and talk through what the Packers are dealing with right now. Kind of also how we got here uh, with this point. But yes, it is not fun times to be a Packer fan. We will also talk about how the Brewers keep showing up against the best teams in baseball. What does that mean going forward? Is the sample size too small? We'll chat about that. We'll also finish up the show with kind of moving on to the Bucks offseason now. So obviously the championship has happened. What do the Bucks have to do this offseason? The draft on Thursday night. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also talk a bit about the offseason plans for Milwaukee as well. All right. But we will start with the Green Bay Packers because training camp begins on Tuesday. We have shareholders today. I'm sure there will be nuggets out of shareholders, mostly because Mark Murphy will be talking to the shareholders. And Mark Murphy has sometimes some problems keeping his big mouth shut. We saw the complicated fellow line at least, what was that, two months ago. There will be something that to grab from a headline grab. There will be something from Mark Murphy, unless he keeps it above board and doesn't give the Packer, the Packer fans much. But the dysfunction has set in with Green Bay. It is definitely a dysfunctional organization out of complete nowhere. And it starts with the top. It starts at the head of the snake, which the head of the snake is Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers has created this dysfunction. He manufactured this dysfunction amongst the Green Bay Packers. It started in April when he basically requested a trade. He didn't actually like formally request it, but it was Aaron Rodgers doesn't really feel the love. It kind of came out of nowhere. It happened after free agency. And basically it came down to Aaron Rodgers didn't want to be a lame duck. And I think I haven't seen that term enough. Like that to me blows my mind, right? Like I don't know why not enough people are talking about the lame duck period because that is exactly what Rodgers is dealing with. Rodgers saw all of his friends, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, uh, Julius Peppers, Morgan Burnett. I don't know if Morgan Burnett was friends, but he fits he fits that mold of like guys who got too old and the Packers were like, all right, we're moving on. That has been the Packer way. It's very Belichickian as well. Like this is this is what good teams do. This is how good teams stay good. They move on from their players when they hit a certain level. Well, Aaron Rodgers, being that he's 37, he still has years left in a tank. Aaron Rodgers still has years left to prove. Like they there's a pretty good indication that Aaron Rodgers can be a solid quarterback for years to come. The guy just won MVP. But Green Bay has Jordan Love, and Green Bay knows Jordan Love is going to be good, and I know Jordan Love's going to be good. So it's interesting that not more people are talking about that, besides Tyler Dunn, who is Jordan Love's PR agent uh, at this point. I love Tyler Dunn. I think Tyler Dunn does a great job, but the pro-love stuff that he's done is is borderline weird. Like, it's borderline single white female, if you're familiar with that movie. Like, it's like, dude... uh, I get it. Like you like Jordan Love, you're putting all your eggs in Jordan Love's basket. But is is this really? Is it really fair? Like is it, that to me is my question. Like I get why he's doing it because immediately, if 
if love's good and it pans out, then he is the guy for love, similar as Jason Wildey is Aaron Rodgers' guy. And and Wildey went in pretty hard with Rodgers early, and that paid off for Jason. And as a reporter, it grew his profile, it grew his brand. So I think that's what Tyler Dunn is doing. But as an aside, why I think love is good and why I think Rodgers knows that is because this is why he's pushing it. If Rodgers thought love sucked, I don't think he would be worried about the lame duck. And they talk about, athletes talk about this all the time. I've heard Trent Dilfer mention this on a Rasilla podcast. Is like, you know, like through the first couple snaps if a guy is good or not. Like, you know immediately if this guy can play and this guy can't. So Rodgers knows that Jordan Love can play. And so Rodgers knows that they were probably going to move on after next year. So he's doing this one last ditch effort, not necessarily the last dance, but it's a last ditch attempt to try to stay in Green Bay, finish out his career as a Packer. But as it's gone on, it's just spiraled out of control. The reason that we're at this dysfunction is because no one has provided answers. Rodgers hasn't said to the media like, hey, look, this is what I want to do or I'm not going to report to camp because of this, or I'm going to retire because of that. Everything is up in the air, and it's been up in the air for April, since April, and I think Packer fans are so frustrated. And the fact that Green Bay has not been able to figure this out, and whether that's on Murphy, or that's on Gunakus, whether that's on Rodgers, whether that's on all three of them, makes them the most dysfunctional franchise right now in the NFL. Now, you could say Houston Texans, right? Houston Texans have all their problems. They hired a coach that was supposed to be geared towards Deshaun Watson. Now, Deshaun Watson has some pretty brutal sexual assault cases in front of him and is now a someone whose star has diminished greatly. Um, and that story, to me, is not talked about enough. And we, can, we don't need to get into why that is. But the fact that Watson is not being sort of held to the same standard as I think other quarterbacks would is pretty enlightening to me and says a lot about today's media. But yeah, Deshaun Watson should not even be a thought about a trade, but it was just reported this morning that his name is still being bandied about in trades. And guess what? I think people would rather have Deshaun Watson than Aaron Rodgers, maybe. As crazy as that sounds, I think that the the allure of Watson and if they the sexual assault stuff isn't as serious, but it looks serious. It looks like a open open shot case. I I think that people might want Watson more, and so, but that the the Texans dysfunction kind of went away because no one wanted to talk about the Watson sexual assault stuff. So the Texans dysfunction went away. The Seahawks dysfunction went away. Because Russell Wilson, who apparently wanted out at some point last season, and all eyes were on Russell Wilson, he sort of faded back. And now Russell Wilson is all on board. Now, who knows if that'll be the same next year, but that dysfunction went away. The San Francisco 49ers, you know, drafting Trey Lance and having Jimmy Garoppolo and the relationship with Kyle Shanahan and the team, it really wasn't that dysfunctional, but it, it doesn't exist. The Patriots with, you know, their new quarterback stuff, not really dysfunctional. No one is as dysfunctional as the Green Bay Packers. And it's like they just were in an NFC Championship game. They were probably a David Bakhtiari injury away from a Super Bowl. 
And I know that stings. And I, I hate that that is the case. But they are a Bakhtiari injury away from a Super Bowl. And that to me is something we'll have to live with for a while until we can bring home a championship again for Green Bay. And the level of apathy, which I talked about on Saturday's show, which if you haven't listened, yes, we did do a Saturday show, has grown because of the Bucks championship. And there, and I think that leads to even more dysfunction because everybody's sick of it. Everybody has thrown their hands up in the air and are like, are we going to figure this out? How is this going to happen? Like, what is, what's the end game here? And everybody wants answers and there are none to be given. And I think that drives people fucking crazy. I think Matt uh, Schneidman had, had a thing yesterday where uh, he got into an Uber coming back for the season. He's like, got to Green Bay, hopped in an Uber at the airport. My driver wasted no time. Is that fucker even going to show up? This preseason should be fun. I, look, man, like I, I think it's, I think it's a real, real issue, and I, I think that there, there are some real problems. And, and yeah, it could be over on Tuesday. Rogers could report to camp all smiles, but the dysfunction is still going to be there. This dysfunction doesn't just go away because Aaron Rodgers shows up. And yeah, these guys can be professionals and make everything happen and do your last dance shit. And I know other people jumped in on it. I saw Tanyan with the Dennis Rodman. I saw David Bakhtiari say, no, 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 that's me. I'm the Dennis Rodman. I'd probably agree with Bakhtiari. He's more the Rodman. And then you then you had Aaron Jones with the uh, gif of the, the worker who kind of did the shrug. So it's like... All of these guys sort of played into this last dance thing. And we're like, all right, whatever. We're going to have some fun with this. And Cheesehead TV is like, we get, we're get getting trolled. I don't think we're getting trolled. I, I think Rodgers and Adams both were like, all right, yeah, this is the last year. And then we're done. And it sucks. It sucks that that's what we're dealing with. And that the pack, and that, that Rodgers and Adams are so brazen about everything. I think that's part of the dysfunction too, right? Where it's like... It's not just kind of hidden dysfunction. It's out in the open. Like if I were a journalist right now, not even a Packer beat writer, if I were a journalist and I wanted to write a book, I would be living in Green Bay. I would be pitching a book publisher saying, this seems very last dancey. Let's write a book. Have me up in Green Bay for the entire season. Let me cover this team. Let me find out everything I can and then a book comes out, what, two years later, highlighting sort of the Rogers, the, the Rogers era coming to a close. That to me is would be an amazing book. And in fact, it's something I, like I'm thinking about now. Like I, I can't write a book. I'm not that good enough of a writer. But I'm like, do I just want to do this? Do I want to quit my job and just be like, can I write a book about the Green Bay Packers for for this season? Because I, I really think that it's going to be something that we've never experienced. And I have no idea at this point. And yeah, if Rodgers comes back Tuesday, great. Um, he reported the camp. Everybody's wrong. I didn't retire. Uh, but at the same time, all these questions and the pressure still remains. And it, it's just far from over. It's far from being over. And we'll just have to see what happens next. But the dysfunction... I don't know when it'll get better. 
Like, the only way it gets better, I guess, is if Aaron Rodgers gets a two-year, $90 million contract with Mike Florio had, which basically would guarantee Rodgers couldn't be a lame duck and would guarantee his lame duck stat, guarantee against the lame duck status. Jordan Love gets traded, and now everything's back to normal. But it, it's tough, man. Zadarius Smith, we didn't even mention, has said that he's unhappy about his contract. And it's like, I think these guys, Adams and Smith especially, need to understand, like, I know you guys like Aaron Rodgers, but do you realize if we get rid of Aaron Rodgers next year, there's going to be money for you guys to have, and we're going to basically be able to take care of you? And I, I realize Darius Smith, Zadarius Smith's unhappy, but it's been two years, dude. Sign a four-year deal. Like, come on. Like, that that's... At least honor three before you're getting upset. Like, I, I, that kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way. Just feels like it's a dog pile. It's like, all right, is anyone else going to be mad about this season? Because it seems like it seems like we have a quite the trio that are already upset. But we'll see. Maybe this function goes away. Maybe things are all rainbows and unicorns when the Packers take the field against the New Orleans Saints in, in September. But I highly doubt that this will just go away in a month and a half. Moving on to talk about the Milwaukee Brewers. So the Milwaukee Brewers lost yesterday 3-1 to to the Chicago White Sox. If it's not for a Lance Lynn two-run single, uh, Milwaukee is right in that game. Uh, they just could not get a big hit in this one. They had runners on against Lynn and against the White Sox uh, bullpen, but they just did not seem to deliver that big hit when they needed it the most. Obviously very frustrating, but not something you're too mad about seeing as they beat the Sox two out of three. And that is all you ask for when you're at home is a two out of three series win that always will play, especially against a good team like the Chicago White Sox. The Brewers have seen some really good success against some of the top teams in the National League and the American League now. They went 6-1 against the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres to start the season. They still have three left with the Dodgers at the tail end of the year. So who knows if those games will even matter. Uh, They have went, they swept the Reds over the weekend. I don't know if I'd put the Reds in that echelon with the Dodgers and Padres, but they still swept the Reds when they needed to and kind of separated themselves from Cincinnati. They also didn't lose a game on the Reds uh, on Sunday as the Reds lost to the St. Louis Cardinals. They took two out of three from the White Sox. The only team that they were unable to take two out of three of that's a division leader is the New York Mets. But if you want to get on the positive side of that, they basically had the Mets beat with Jacob deGrom and then Josh Hader blew his only save save of the season. Oh no, he blew two. But Josh Hader blew a save in that game and that was part of the reason why. So it wasn't necessarily like the Brewers had the Mets on the ropes. The Brewers easily could have won two out of three against New York as well. So the last kind of final bosses to prove themselves against is the San Francisco Giants. So they play next weekend, which will be a very big series uh, with the Brewers and Giants, some would say playoff-like atmosphere in American Family Field. The Brewers and Giants get together twice in the month of August at the start and at the finish of August. And so that will kind of be good barometers to see where the Brewers are. 
But the Brewers keep showing up against these good teams. Their pitching delivers. Their offense seems to deliver as well. In both Friday and Saturday night, the Brewers have big, had big outbursts, and they just kept... Well, on Friday, Milwaukee you know, showed up with that big inning. We talked about it on Saturday's show. Tyrone Taylor hits the grand slam. The Brewers busted open. Then on Saturday, they just kept adding runs. They just kept adding on to their lead. Uh, Robbie Telez with two home runs, kind of welcoming himself to the Milwaukee crowd and playing an integral role in what the Brewers were doing. Telez and Tyrone Taylor both had massive series. Tyrone Taylor, it almost like he knew Lorenzo Cain is back on Tuesday, just kind of making a statement. And we talked about Taylor on Saturday where there's no reason Tyrone Taylor should go down to the minors. And if Tyrone Taylor goes down to the minors, we have a much bigger beef with what the Milwaukee Brewers are doing. I think it should be Keston Hira or it should be one of the pitchers, whether that's Perdomo or Gustav or someone else, because it is not Tyrone Taylor. He is a big league player and deserves to be on this roster. So the Brewers finding success against the good teams leads you to believe that this team can play in October, that they're not going to be afraid of the big moment in October. Had the Brewers struggled against the Dodgers and Padres, had they lost two out of three to the Chicago White Sox, I think we would wonder, is this team kind of a fraud? Like, are they paper tigers? Are they they only good against the bad teams in baseball? And I don't think that's the case. So I don't really see the playoffs as a David versus Goliath situation for the Brewers. I don't think that's existent at all. Like, I, I think the Brewers can play with just about anybody. I mean, they set a record. They had a 1,000 strikeouts before 100 innings pitched this year as a pitching staff. They have the best pitching staff in baseball. I don't think it's a crime to, it's to say that. It's true. They have the best pitching staff in baseball. They have three of the top four ERA guys in all of the National League. They have a bullpen that is the best in baseball for the last 30 days. They have the best ERA in the bullpen. The Brewers have three Cy Young candidates. That is wild. You don't usually see that. It it reminds you, it invokes memories of the Atlanta Braves in the 90s when you had Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin. That is kind of what the Brewers have with their pitching staff right now. And it's crazy to say that, right? That's like the peak of a pitching staff, but the Brewers are right there. And so they have to be taken seriously. It cannot be assumed that the Los Angeles Dodgers or the San Diego Padres, who just got Adam Frazier, keep adding to their team. And they might get Craig Kimbrell, which it's amazing how much they're pushing all in. I I don't know if I agree with that strategy, just as an aside. I, you have Fernando Tatis for a bunch of years. You have a bunch of young players. Like, Why do you need to push your chips in all year? Maybe you see the opportunity as the Brewers do have the best pitching staff and the Dodgers have sort of... I would say there have been some holes poked in them. Their boat is definitely leaking a little bit. I wouldn't say they're the best team right now in the National League. I have no idea who the best team in the National League is right now. I don't I don't think we know. Is it the Giants? They just lost two out of three at home to the Pirates. You know, is it the Padres? You know, are they the best team in baseball? Well, they just lost, I think, two out of three or three out of four to the Miami Marlins. Like... Are are we sure right now that there is a best team? Or is it the Brewers? Is it the Brewers? And do we need to talk about them as the best in the National League? We may have to. 
Now, I think they need a little more offense, but they have found it more and more since June. I think if you look at their numbers since June, they've been much better offensively. So they can rise to the moment, and these pitchers are ready. Now, I'm a, I'm a little worried about the innings, right? I think it's fair. I know Mitch Mitch has some boomer takes on this, so I'm not going to try to uh, stop on those because I, I want to have Mitch express them on the podcast. But you do have to manage the innings, and I think that's going to be part of it. And it's going to be like, are these guys going to be ready to, to go in the playoffs? I mean, we saw Woodruff. Uh, through the last couple of years has really been a guy that's playoff ready. Corbin Burns had a, had a moment I guess against the Dodgers, but there isn't a lot of you know evidence that Corbin Burns can do this. Freddie Peralta actually had some moments out of the bullpen when in 2018 and he was a young guy and kind of lived up to those moments. So that to me is the last hurdle of do we know if these guys are going to be playoff ready. I think I feel pretty good about the rotation and I feel pretty good about the clutch hitting. And I think I do think the Brewers deserve to be mentioned among the best in the National League. And they're going to make some moves here before the deadline. The deadline is Friday. Um, we'll probably talk a little more about that as the week goes on. But is that Trevor Story? Uh, is that a relief pitcher? There's rumors that they do want relief pitchers. I would imagine that they want sort of a solidified back end. Devin Williams has not been as good as he's been last year. So I think they want someone else to maybe help Williams with that workload and that sort of be able to say, all right, maybe Devin Williams seventh inning, eighth inning, another guy. And you could flip flop between matchups, right? Craig Council's great at that. And then Josh Hader in the ninth. I think they just need one more guy because they get one more guy, then really you can manage the innings, which we just talked about, a lot easier because you can go, okay, Woodruff for five, off. Boxberger in the sixth or Brett Suter in the sixth. Seventh is maybe the guy you bring in from a trade. Devin Williams in the eighth, Josh Hader in the ninth, if that's how you want to do it. It could be a little different each day, But that, to me, screams postseason World Series contender. And the Brewers definitely deserve to be mentioned in that. I think think they have the respect. I think putting them on ESPN yesterday kind of says a lot, right? It says where the Brewers are and that they didn't want to do another Yankees-Red Sox game because they've done so many of them, right? Although the Yankees and Red Sox game was wild and probably a more exciting game than the Brewers and, and White Sox. But... Kudos to ESPN sort of getting the Brewers out there and starting that. I would not be surprised if they decide to come back for Brewers-Giants in a couple weeks. Like That to me is a very big series and wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if they do roll that out with Sunday Night Game. Wrapping up the show today with the Milwaukee Bucks. So the Bucks celebration is probably over. We're all on vacation. Giannis apparently was at Disney World yesterday uh, for a little R&R. I, I would imagine Brooke Lopez will do the same. Uh, Mike Budos are probably sipping back on some Mai Tais, hanging out, who knows, whether in Hawaii. I don't know where a Bud vacation spot would be, but I, I think everybody is sort of on a little bit of a vacation mode until the NBA draft. John Horse probably is right now working until the NBA draft. Like John Horse probably has a countdown and is like, can I fucking enjoy my offseason? It'll be a while for Johnny because uh, he has a draft and then he'll have free agency. 
And the Bucks still have work to do to kind of repeat, right? Now the goal is repeat. The Bucks will want to repeat, I guarantee you. I think that the national media narrative will not necessarily believe that the Bucks will repeat. You're going to hear a lot of people think that the Bucks are frauds. We're going to do Lakers and Nets all over again. And those teams will upgrade. If Philly makes a big move, Philly will be considered. So the Bucks will kind of be where they were last year, which is crazy to think about. But that's the NBA, and that's how the NBA media works. But the Milwaukee Bucks can make their team as good, if not better, next season. P.J. Tucker coming back to me seems like a done deal. I hate using the word done deal, but it, it makes too much sense not to have P.J. Tucker back on this roster. Number one, he is the emotional leader of this, of this team. While Giannis, I think, plays that role really well, I think P.J. Tucker has sort of an extra little bit of oomph that brings them across the finish line. And the communication that Tucker has on the court is unmatched. And I realize he doesn't do much offensively, but Tucker gives you so much more on the defensive side of the, the ball that I think Tucker needs to be brought back. And whether he's a bench player or a starter next season, I think Tucker is extremely important to what the Bucs are doing, especially against Brooklyn. And I know you're like, Kevin Durant went off on P.J. Tucker. What are you talking about? Well, because we had P.J. Tucker, everybody else was able to thrive. Chris Middleton didn't have to worry about P.J. Tucker. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Kevin Durant. Uh, Giannis didn't have to worry about Kevin Durant. It was P.J. Tucker's guy. P.J. Tucker frustrated him, got him going, and then that freed up everybody else. And so that, to me, is a sole reason why you bring back P.J. Tucker so you have somebody to guard Kevin Durant in the postseason. That is basically the goal of P.J. Tucker and why you bring P.J. Tucker back. Now, Bryn Forbes, will he want to come back? I don't know. Bryn Forbes can probably get paid. There might be a team who's not a playoff contender, maybe like an Orlando Magic or a Sacramento Kings who looks at Bryn Forbes and is like, hey, man, we could use Sacramento Kings, probably a bad example, but if they trade Buddy Heald, maybe a good example. Uh, they they could look at him and say, hey, man, you know, I know we're not that successful, but we can give you a good amount of money. You can start for us, and you have a little bit more of a role than you will with the Bucks team. Who knows? Uh, that could be something Bryn Forbes would like. I would welcome Bryn Forbes back. I realize Bryn Forbes was an after afterthought in the tail end of the postseason, but he still had a massive regular season, and I think he would only get better. I think the year of playoff experience will only season Bryn Forbes more, and Bryn Forbes will be ready for those moments going forward. Just because he had one good series in the postseason doesn't mean that we should just throw out the rest of the stuff that Bryn Forbes did. Because I do think there'd be some Bucks fans who are like, all right, he sucked against Brooklyn, he sucked against Atlanta, he didn't even play against Phoenix, why the fuck would we want him back? Well, he's a young guy, right? Like, it's not just gonna, you're not just gonna figure everything out in one season. That happens, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not one to just be like, all right, we're throwing out the Bryn Forbes stuff. We, we can at least bring Bryn Forbes back. So I have no problem bringing Bryn Forbes back. Bobby Portis is a tougher conversation. Obviously, I want Bobby Portis back. We all want Bobby Portis back. None of us want Bobby Portis to leave. Uh, He is a guy that I think is a cult hero here in Milwaukee. He loves Milwaukee. But the the realism here is that Portis can get paid. 
Portis can get a massive contract. Portis, Portis will garner a ton of money. And it won't just be from, you know, teams like the Orlandos and Sacramentos of the world. It'll be from playoff teams. I think, you know, the Knicks who had Bobby Portis could say, all right, maybe bring him back and see how we could do a small ball thing with him and Julius Randle. Or I'm trying to think of another example. Maybe the Hawks, right? Look at, we're not going to pay John Collins. Instead, we'll pay Bobby Portis. Dude, that could be on the table. I think Bobby Portis is going to garner a ton of interest. And the question is, is will will he settle to stay with the Bucks? I don't know. I, I'm not going to blame him either way. Losing Bobby Portis would suck. And then trying to find his replacement, I think, would be even harder. But Milwaukee did it last year. So can they do it again? Probably. John Horst seems to have a knack for talent. Maybe find some guy who has been on losers for the last, his whole career, and maybe see if you can reignite his career. But he will always get compared to Bobby Portis, of course. And then, like I said, there is a true love that this city has for has for him. But then again, no one's going to shame Bobby Portis and be mad at Bobby Portis if he decides to take more money with another organization. But I will say this, and I think the NBA is a little different than the NFL. And the NFL, when you win a Super Bowl, you get paid. And everybody pays you out and you're, you lose a lot of guys because Super Bowl inflates your value. A Super Bowl winner inflates your value because you're able to sell that signing to your fans like we just signed a Super Bowl winner. If you can remember, this is a long time ago, big call, big callback, but... The Packers, after their second Super Bowl, all those guys got fucking paid by others. And that was part of the issue I think Mike Holmgren had with Ron Wolf because he wanted to bring all these guys back for another round. And yet the Packers decided not to do it. But they all got paid. And there was there were a lot of high-value contracts that seemed kind of out of this world. In the NBA all these guys kind of want to come back. Like that's what happened with the Warriors. None of these guys wanted to leave. So they took less money and said, all right, we want to keep winning championships. We want to keep playing for Steph Curry. And I think Giannis has that gravitational pull. I know Giannis has that gravitational pull. I should say, I think, I know Giannis has that gravitational pull to bring guys back, to say, I want to play with Giannis. I don't want to play with anybody else. I just figure out the money. I'll, I'll take less. It's okay. That's not a problem at all for me. I'll, I just want to play with Giannis. I think that exists. And we kind of saw that, to bring it back to the NFL, we kind of saw that with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Like a lot of those guys could have got paid and they're all back with the Buccaneers. Why? Because they want to play with Tom Brady. They want to play with the Michael Jordan of football. That, that makes so much sense. And that happened with Jordan too, right? People wanted to play with Jordan, so they took less money to play with Jordan. That, to me, is going to happen with the Bucks. So I do feel like Bobby Portis could come back. It would not surprise me. And we'll see what they do in the draft. They have the 31st pick. Their best hope, best case scenario, is that a guy who's considered around 25, 24, starts falling. I would love Trey Mann from Florida. Trey Mann's 6'5". He shoots 40% from three. He's a young guy. He he has a little bit more seasoning to go. But it would be a player that would easily help Milwaukee next season off the bench. 
that could be there. You could insert him right away. And you just stick him in the corner and you're just like, keep shooting. And that could be a vital asset to Milwaukee. They need perimeter help. They cannot have next season be Jeff Teague as your backup point guard. So you need a ball handler. You want a guy who probably can shoot. And that to me would be the priority for Milwaukee at that 31 spot. I hope they don't sell it for cash. That would be very cheap of a championship team to do unless they think they can get somebody in free agency. But they need perimeter help. I don't think they need help inside. Yeah, maybe if you wanted to draft Bobby Portis' replacement, you could potentially look into that. But I, I think really the goal for the Bucks in the draft should be should be a point guard or shooting guard. I know we mentioned at the beginning of the show we were going to talk more draft. It's more offseason and then a little bit of draft. Mitch and I can maybe throw out some names for you guys uh, tomorrow. Mitch and I are hoping to do a podcast tomorrow, by the way. Um, we talked about doing that. And yes, so the Bucks with the with the NBA draft to kind of put a bow on it, I think they'll look for perimeter first and then inside next. It could be best available, though. I, I could easily see the Bucks doing that. I could easily see them going the foreign route and picking up somebody who might not be ready to go for a couple of years and stashing them. Could also see that on the table for the Bucks. They are probably a true wild card. And maybe the Bucks even think about moving up, but I don't know how many assets they have to move up if they see a guy who could fit with this roster right away. Lastly, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, um, you might have seen it, the blog, that we are going to be tapping the keg sports here very soon. I'll talk more about it with Mitch, uh, as that's tapping the keg podcast. Um, we will have daily tap still, don't worry. Daily tap isn't going away. Uh, but the name change was just something that I've thought about for a while. Um, Snowtap WI, while the name I created 11 years ago, it just never really resonated as it should have. And you could blame me. You could blame just the name itself uh, was a little bit too in the weeds. And I, it, you just need to explain things to people more. And Tapping the Keg Sports gives us a a brand that is easy to know and that is catchy, that leans into the culture that I think we're looking for, which is your friendly person that's sitting at the bar that just wants to talk sports with you. That's what we are. And we're tapping that keg. And we're the, the slogan at this point is quenching your Wisconsin sports thirst because that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to fill you up. We're trying to give you exactly what you need. So that is the name change. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, uh, but we'll probably fully bring that in next week. It'll be, but as I wanted to kind of get the conversation started so everybody knew where, where we're going with this. Love you all. Appreciate all the support. I know there will be some that will miss no tap WI. I know that will be missed, but trust me, tap the keg sports. We can, we'll figure it out. We'll make it work. It'll, it'll be a little different, a little different inflection. We'll make it happen. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself an awesome Monday. Back tomorrow. See you. Bye.